finally get to me. I know. Or good, you, that's you? Yes, this is me. <laughs> Come along. Welcome to Madam Greta. Thank you. <laughs> Very excited to be here. Yeah, no worries. From Schwartz Media and 7am, I'm Ruby Jones, and this is The Vote. As Australia prepares to elect its 31st Prime Minister and next federal government, there's a proportion of people underrepresented in that vote. Indigenous enrolment remains lower than the rest of the population, particularly in remote areas like parts of the Northern Territory. And the reason for that, according to allegations in a complaint lodged with the Human Rights Commission, is a pattern of indirect discrimination and voter suppression. Today, in the second of this two-part series, producer Ruby Schwartz on a historic human rights complaint and the man behind it. It's Thursday, May 12. In mid-April, I jump on this tiny twin-engine plane to fly from Darwin to Manangrida in West Arnhem Land. A little nervous because the plane looks smaller than I thought it would be and I'm a little bit of a nervous flyer. Um, but yeah, apparently the flight from Darwin to Manangrida is beautiful, so I'll distract myself by looking out the window. After landing at possibly the smallest airport I've ever seen, just a tarmac, a small office and a wooden bench, I'm greeted by Matthew Ryan. He's the man that I've flown there to meet. Thanks so much for getting me. No, all good, mate, all good. All good? Yep. I think that's us. Cool. Matthew is the mayor of the West Arnhem Regional Council, which Manangrida is a part of. This is my second term as a mayor. I've got another three, four years now, yeah. which is a big challenge, but, you know, a challenge I like. And like any good mayor, the first thing Matthew does is give me a proud tour of Manangrida. While the town isn't huge, Matthew knows it so well, it's like he could drive blindfolded. This is the local cop shop here. Yeah. Local you get the local basketball court and yeah. you get and the here's school. a local swimming pool right here. It's a nice pool. Oh, beautiful. Look, I think we're is that turn... a cow? Yeah, that's a cow. Oh, cool. <laughs> Don't worry, there's a couple here. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Manangrida is beautiful, right on the ocean. It's also one of the largest remote communities in the Northern Territory, home to about 3,000 people, most of them about 90% Indigenous. And Matthew seems to know just about everyone. He's waving at every car that we drive past, occasionally putting down the window to have a chat. You seem to know everyone. Yeah. (laughs) I was there because Matthew... A sitting mayor, an elected official, has lodged an historic complaint with the Australian Human Rights Commission. The complaint is the first of its kind, and it alleges that the vote of people living in remote Indigenous communities is being suppressed. Matthew was actually one of two men who originally made the complaint. The other man, Mr Wanangmara, was from East Arnhem Land. He passed away in recent months, and for cultural reasons I can't say his full name. But Matthew is pushing ahead with the complaint, and if he gets the outcome that he wants, it could be hugely consequential for remote Indigenous communities and for the way that our democracy operates. 
Okay, this is the council office. The tour ends when we reach the council offices, where we find a quiet spot to sit and talk. And Matthew begins to tell me how he got to this point. Yeah, look, I've grown up in a unique place, you can say, and experienced lots. The hardship, the good and the bad. Matthew grew up about 100 kilometres south of Manangrida. This is that bush, bush. You know, bush, bush, you know when they, they say whoop, whoop? Well, <laughs> that's the same. <laughs> that's where we were living. He went to school in Manangrida, and as soon as he graduated, he became a police officer. And, um, I suppose this way, when I joined the police, I could see the gaps and the issues. And in his work as a police officer, Matthew became aware of all of these issues that he'd never really paid attention to before. What kinds of gaps? Oh, look, the funding shortage. He began to notice the poor infrastructure, the crowded houses. We don't get given anything. We only get the crumbles. It both angered and energised Matthew, and it made him want to change things, to make a difference. But being a police officer in a remote Indigenous community, it wasn't easy. At times where I've heard a lot of racism. From the white police? Yeah. Is there anything that sticks out as like a particularly hard day or something like that that happened where it's just really stayed with you? Yeah, lots. Do you um, mind talking about anything in particular? Yeah, look, I, I pro- probably not. Okay. Uh, yeah. Matthew says that his work as a police officer gave him PTSD. He still wakes up at 2 or 3 a.m. most nights thinking about the things that happened. Eventually, Matthew left the police force. And after leaving, he took a long break from working and from engaging with the community. But then... Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mr Bruff and I have called this news conference to announce um, a number of major measures to deal with what we can only describe as a national emergency. In 2007, after a report was published that detailed supposed widespread sexual abuse of Aboriginal children in the Northern Territory, the Howard government launched an intervention. It is interventionist. It does push aside the role of the... Which changed life in remote Indigenous communities in the Northern Territory for good. Today, the implementation of intervention was something I'll never forget. It was an experience of invasion. Some people were hiding in their houses. Teams of soldiers and police were sent into communities like Matthews. So they, the army just rolled in yeah. in their trucks yes. and pitched their tents yeah. in the middle of the community. Yes, here, right The Australian here. army yes. in an Australian yes. Aboriginal community. Indigenous people were pushed off employment programs onto the dole. Alcohol was restricted. Pornography was forbidden. And these bans were loudly splashed on signs at the entrance of these communities. Warning, the sign said, no alcohol, no pornography. The Racial Discrimination Act was also suspended for these communities alone, in essence acknowledging that the intervention would constitute discrimination. The government suspended the act because it's believed abuse is widespread and therefore anyone living in a remote community may be a danger to children. The intervention really blanketed all men as... Oh, I don't want to use the name, but blanketed us as bad men, really. Mm. Pictured us, all Aboriginal men are bad. Mm. And this is what really made me angry, and it's about one size fit all. Every person I spoke to in the Northern Territory for this story 
brought up the intervention with me unprompted. It's not something that I'd anticipated going into this reporting trip. I was there to talk about voting, but not a conversation went by without at least a few minutes spent talking about the damage the intervention wrought on Aboriginal communities, which people told me created mass unemployment, saw Aboriginal children forcibly removed from their families and spikes in new suicide. And Matthew is no different. When he started to see what the intervention was doing to Manangrida, he couldn't look away. People lost their job, people lost their faith in the system. Um, and literally people went to... Look, I'm being honest here, where people literally um, went to doing drugs so they can support their families. Mm-hmm. And you can't blame the individual or, or families because there's nothing for them in the community at the time due to the fact of, you know, what, what the intervention done. And Matthew had this realisation, like, if I just keep not engaging, nothing is going to change. So they blanketed us with the same pain price that we all bad men, and that's why we said, no, no, let's be vocal about this, let's speak up. So he decided to do something he thought could have the biggest impact. So I wanted to get in where I can voice my opinion and raise concern about the intervention. He decided to get involved in politics. First as a local councillor, then he was elected mayor. And it was at this point that a new issue came to Matthew's attention. Voting, or lack thereof. Because while Matthew was voted in democratically, the turnout was laughably low. Do you know how many people voted for you to become mayor? In- yeah, probably just to get in as a councillor, probably about 100 and something plus. And that's of a community of like four Yeah, like from here, yeah, exactly. Mm. And that, that shows you that the statistics, you know, should have been more. Matthew also noticed that there was little to no work being done before elections to get people enrolled or to educate them about the political system. People don't understand why they're voting. People don't understand the politics behind the, the policies that the government implement the, the, and the effect that it'll have on the community and the consequences. That's what the people don't understand. Mm. And there's lack of education where it should be taught at school. And at first, Matthew tried to fix the problem congenially. Um, I, I actually spoke to the staff at the time at the election poll and I said, look, you need interpreters at the table, you need the right people at the table and explaining the pamphlets or the processes of electing the candidate and explaining them and never listen to me once. And at one stage there, were, there was one person trying to tell me what to do. I said, I'm trying to explain to my countrymen, my people, how to vote. And that should be someone's job to be explaining. You know, it shouldn't be up to me. It should be up to the Electoral Commission. Mm. But no one listened to him. And it was this familiar feeling from when the Northern Territory intervention happened, where it's clear what his community needs and doesn't need. But no one hears them. And Matthew thought... Jeez, we need to expose these people... On the 15th of June 2021, a complaint was made to the Australian Human Rights Commission about the maintenance of the electoral roll and conduct of the 2019 federal election in respect of remote Aboriginal communities by the Australian Electoral Commission. Just last year, 
before Matthew was re-elected as mayor for the second time, he filed a complaint to the Australian Human Rights Commission because Matthew was of the firm belief that his community's voices were being suppressed in our democratic system. My predecessors have fought to vote um, and to be recognised on that, but then, then you have systems that prevent us in terms of having our say. And I still can't believe this is still happening. The complaint got a lot of attention. This is Labor MP Warren Snowden speaking about it in Parliament. This suppression is so extreme that it has led my constituents in my electorate of Lingiari to take legal action to attempt to end this discrimination. And the complaint itself? It's pretty extraordinary and pretty shocking. And the person it's directed at is the person in charge of running our elections. We'll be back after this. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for, please. <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy on yeah, this. Yeah, if, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I have to tell you, when I first read Matthew's complaint, all 109 pages of it, I was pretty shocked. The complaint that Matthew's made to the Australian Human Rights Commission, it's targeted at the Australian Electoral Commissioner, the person who's in charge of the organisation that delivers and runs our elections. Possibly the most important element of any election in a democracy is electoral integrity. And it's something the commissioner, by the way, his name's Tom Rogers. He's white, served in the military for nearly 20 years, and from a quick Google image search, appears to exclusively wear purple ties that match the Australian Electoral Commission's branding material. We've made sure that Australian elections are as safe as can possibly be. He was first appointed the commissioner in 2014, and he was reappointed for another five years by Scott Morrison in 2019. It is front and centre in everything that we do. Authorised by the Electoral Commissioner, Canberra. OK, let me tell you what the complaint says and the arguments that it puts forward. One of the arguments is pretty straightforward. It has to do with polling booths, those little cardboard boxes that you cast your ballot in. So... If you flip through the appendix of the complaint, you'll find pages and pages with names of remote towns in the seat of Lingiari, the seat that covers Matthew's town, Manangrida. And what these pages are doing is listing out the towns that received polling booths during the 2019 federal election. So you'll see exactly where in those towns those polling booths were set up, the aged care facility, the youth centre, in one case just the, quote, veranda was listed... 
You'll also see the mode of transport used to get to those polling booths. Four-wheel drives, helicopters, charter planes. Remember, some of these places are super remote. The most important thing listed, though, is the exact amount of days and time those polling booths were there for. Because that's what this argument is about. The complaint alleges that polling booths don't come to remote Indigenous communities for long enough, particularly, and here's where the allegation of discrimination comes in, when you compare how long they set up in other comparably sized but predominantly white towns in the electorate. For example, in the 2019 federal election, Manangrita had polling booths for half as long as Jabiru, even though it has more than double the amount of residents. And according to the complaint's logic, that's because Manangrita is almost entirely Indigenous. Jabiru, on the other hand, is mostly white. The complaint says that this is a pattern in the electorate of Lingiari and that it amounts to indirect discrimination. There was lack of um, polling booth in the community and that's some of the problems that we, we put a complaint against, you know. So there was lack of that. Okay, now to the next argument in the complaint. It's really interesting. And to understand it, you have to go back to 2012. The federal government introduced a bill into Parliament today to give Australia's Electoral Commission the power to put citizens on the voting roll once they turn 18. So after John Howard's prime ministership, enrolment rates in Australia significantly dropped. And when the Gillard government came into power, it tried to address the problem through something called direct enrolment. Basically, the government wanted to give the Australian Electoral Commission the power to use information from things like motor registries, Centrelink and the tax office to automatically enrol people of voting age. And what that would mean is that when a person turns 18, they don't really need to do anything to get on the electoral roll. The AEC would simply find their details, write to them to let them know that they're getting enrolled, and if they don't respond within 28 days, they're on the roll, and therefore they can vote. The government argues that the change will see more Australians exercising their democratic rights, but the coalition doesn't support the change. The idea that somebody can be enrolled at a particular address on the electoral roll simply because the Electoral Commissioner has found their name on some other database or some other accounting system as being registered at some address is, is profoundly wrong. And while the coalition went hard against the idea of direct enrolment, the bill passed and the enrolment rate in Australia shot up, which sounds like a good thing. And it is. But the thing is, while the enrolment rate did go up for Indigenous people too, it has remained really low. In the Northern Territory, it's less than 70%, well below the national average of 97%. And here's where Matthew's complaint comes in. So the complaint says that, unlike the majority of people in Australia who get automatically enrolled, many people in remote Indigenous communities don't. They still have to manually enrol themselves. And according to the complaint, that's the fault of the Australian Electoral Commissioner. And here's why. The complaint alleges that the Commissioner has created a policy that says to be automatically enrolled, you need a mailing address. 
And having a mailing address is an easy ask for a person who's just turned 18 in a place like Melbourne. But in remote Indigenous communities, a lot of people don't have mailing addresses. And maybe you're thinking, this all makes sense because the commissioner needs to send the person they're enrolling a letter to say that they're doing so because how else would you know that you've been enrolled? But, and here's the really interesting thing that the complaint points out, the legislation the Gillard government brought in says nothing about needing a mailing address. In fact, it explicitly gives the commissioner the power to automatically enrol people and communicate that through electronic means, through SMS, through email. So if the commissioner's policy didn't exist, someone like Matthew, living in Manangrida, could be automatically enrolled. The AEC could find his details, send him a text to let him know that he's getting enrolled. If he doesn't respond within 28 days, voila, he's on the roll. According to the complaint, it's inexplicable as to why the commissioner doesn't do this. And it's indirect discrimination. Because why not use every power at your disposal to automatically enrol as many Australians as possible? Like, why do you think the AEC would be making it harder for Indigenous people to vote? Look, look I don't know. I think probably best one is, is look, of course, I think there's a threat, I reckon, because there's more, more and more Indigenous people speaking up. And I think people want to have their say in terms of what should be happening in their own communities. Where I think there's a threat because of Indigenous empowerment are increasingly coming up. By doing this, we sort of suppress us from speaking up mm-hmm. and how to vote. So I took all of these claims to the AEC. Their response was this. They told me that the remote polling schedule is complex and involves polling of various durations in order for mobile teams to get to a number of locations. They said it's a world-leading service which visits around 400 communities. With regards to direct enrolment, the AEC said that it's been their long-standing belief that they must communicate about this through hard copy, written form, but they added that they've been trialling email notifications and that the initial trials are positive. And finally, the AEC stated, quote, There are no barriers to enrolment in Australia. It is one click away for anyone who wants to actively participate in elections. Since Matthew first made the complaint, the lawyers representing him have told me that hundreds of other people from remote Indigenous communities around Australia want to add their names to the complaint too. It's clearly not an isolated problem, but... It's also clearly not a problem that's going to be solved before this federal election, which is less than two weeks away now. But I wonder, what if it was? What if the Indigenous enrolment rate increased to 97%, like the rest of the population? Could it change the outcome of this election? Hello, Ben speaking. Hey, Ben, it's Ruby. How's it going? Uh, good, thanks. Thanks for doing this bit early. No, so no. I called up Ben Rowie. Uh, ben Rowie, election analyst from the Tally Room. A polling analyst. 
to find out what he thought. And I guess, yeah, the, f the first question I do want to ask is, you know, if um, the Indigenous enrolment rate was raised to be basically on par with the rest of the population, hovering at about 97%, how do you think it would change the kind of outcome of this federal election or, or would it change the outcome of this federal election? There are two electorates that I think are worth paying attention to where there is both a large Indigenous population and the electorate is relatively close and turnout is not as high as it is in other seats. And those are Leichhardt, which covers Cairns and far north Queensland, and Lingiari, which covers um, most of the Northern Territory, including the Outback, the Top End and Alice Springs. But I mentioned Leichhardt and Lingiari because they are also close. And so, you know, if a seat's held by like a 20% margin, then turnout changes would have to be astronomical, probably bigger than is possible to really make a difference. So what Ben's saying is that in a lot of seats where there are large Indigenous populations, the margins are too big for higher enrolment levels to result in any meaningful change. But this is a very close election, so I asked Ben if the two seats he mentioned could have an impact. It could have an impact. Some of the polls suggest Labor is on track for a comfortable win, but some of them are a lot closer. And a couple of seats can be really valuable in that situation. You know, it's never going to come down to just the one seat that decides an election. Even if on the night it turns out to be one seat that's crucial, that seat's only gotten to that position because of a bunch of other seats have fallen in a particular way. So, um, yeah, these are both... The other thing Ben pointed out is that higher enrolment doesn't always lead to higher voter turnout. So maybe a change like this wouldn't swing the outcome of this election. But in many ways... That seems beside the point. Elections are the opportunity to influence how government works. And in theory, it is supposed to be proportional to the share of the population. But yeah, it, it does make a difference. If, if one demographic is less likely to turn out, they become less politically important. Uh, so because really, what we're talking about here is a fundamental right in this country. A right to vote, to be counted, to be heard. And a right that was won by Indigenous people in this country not all that long ago. And you mentioned before um, that, you know, that Indigenous people had to fight for the right to vote in the 1960s. Does it still, like, feel to you like you are still fighting for the right to vote? Yeah, we're still fighting today. And it's disappointing. And it's a modern day. Like, you go, how? Why this is this happening? And would you say that the, our democracy is, would you say that it's not working for Aboriginal No, it's not. It's not. And I say that with a passion, you know, and we can be influential within, in our own rights, you know, and say, look, if you're not going to listen to us, we're not going to vote for you next time. Mm -hmm. So it makes them think about who we are as a community, you know, mm -hmm. and because the community have been left high and dry for that long, people lost interest. But I think it's, we need to start that conversation again, saying, hey, reason why you're enrolled is because of these issues. So, you know, these sort of discussions, you know, um, which should happen at school and in the community. Is it something that you talk to your kids a lot about? Oh, lots. What lots. do you say to them? I tell them every time, you know, you must vote so that we can get more funding for our community. And you need to, you know, you need to make your opinion um, heard. 
and my kids are pretty good, you know. They they listen to the advice I give them. Sometimes kids are kids, you know. Oh, come on, <laughs> hey. But you know, again, at least I got my kids enrolled, so which is really good. As we're leaving the council offices, Matthew takes me to the board with all the names of past and present council members. So that's all the old elected members. And Matthew points proudly to his name on the plaque. It says, Councillor Matthew Ryan. 2008 and a dash to nowhere. Ongoing, <laughs> current, uh, serving member. And who knows where Matthew will be heading next? To a court battle if his complaint isn't conciliated? Maybe. To territory politics? He's considering it. And look, I think you know, a, lot, a lot of things I want to do. But right now, his focus is squarely on getting his community enrolled and voting. Because the federal election, it's just weeks away. Best of luck. Um, yeah, like I said, we'll see you next time. All right. See you then. <laughs> see you, This reporting was made possible through the Melbourne Press Club and Michael Gordon Fellowship. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, for the first time ever, Prince Charles has delivered the Queen's speech to the UK Parliament. The Queen's speech sets out the legislative agenda of the Parliament, and this is the first time the Queen has withdrawn from delivering it personally in almost 60 years. And the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has described opposition leader Anthony Albanese as a loose unit, after the Labor leader stood by his comments that he would support a 5.1% increase to the national minimum wage, which he announced on Tuesday. The minimum wage is set by Australia's Fair Work Commission, and while Albanese has refused to say that he'd formally asked them to raise it, he reiterated yesterday that he supports the lifting of the wage in line with inflation. You can listen to analysis on this and other election highlights in tomorrow's The Vote panel episode. I'm Ruby Jones. See you then. Thank you.